In this episode of the Science Communication Journal Club podcast, we talk about some ground rules of making your crisis communication messages effective. But first things first. Hello and welcome to the Psychom JC podcast, your one-stop shop for effective and impactful science communication approaches. At Psychom JC, we aim to help scientists integrate findings from the latest evidence-based research in social sciences and education into their outreach efforts. We curate, summarize and discuss research studies and their applications to real communication contexts in a way that scientists can easily implement. So today we have behind the mics the usual, part of the usual suspects. It's just Maria and me today. Everyone else is <laughs> extremely busy, even though it's a bit of a weird time. Um, and we're podcasting from a very secret quarantine location to keep others safe and to keep ourselves safe and to just, like, just give a, a breath of fresh air to the health systems. So our podcast this week is very thematic. It's about um, some basic and very, very important guidelines on how to make your messages in times of uh, crisis like this efficient. And they're based on a Twitter chat as usual. So Maria, why don't you tell us a bit more details? What inspired you to do this particular topic? And what did you want us, Psycommerce, to take out of it? Yeah, well, hey, Navina, nice to see you in our secret, uh, secret meeting location. You know, our team was getting so busy with the abrupt changes with our lives and work routines. Mm. Everybody was too busy for another chat. But I kept thinking to myself, okay, as a science communication journal club, we have to talk about health communication now. Like how much more relevant can it get right during this um, pandemic? So I felt like, all right, I, I got to do this. I got to do this. Uh, our center, my research center was getting really busy because we were doing a, actually a public opinion survey of COVID-19 in LA County. It was crazy, but it was really exciting. We got our data on TV, like people really care about the results. So I felt like, all right, with the Psycom JC, we got to do something now too, no matter how busy we are. So Wait, you were on TV? I wasn't on TV. Our data was on TV. Nice. So is <laughs> It was there- pretty fun. Is it on demand so I can share the link for our listeners as well? We definitely, I will definitely find a link for you. It was streamed live during the mayor's, the mayor of LA um, update about the mm-hmm. p- pandemic. So I know there is a link somewhere. And actually my boss and my co-teacher is presenting the data, which was pretty exciting. I didn't nice. expect that. Well, I mean, as you can imagine, like people really care to actually know, like, okay, we, we took a temperature of the whole county, right? How do people actually feel about everything that's been done uh, from the government? And it was um, surprisingly positive. Even okay. though it's re- disrupting so many lives, you know, but people understand. Yes. So things were pretty crazy for all of us, but I started looking for a paper. And at first I, you know, as usual, I wanted to pick a research article that's recent. And there were a couple being uh, pre-printed about COVID-19 and communication. But to be honest, I, I learned very quickly. That's not the best idea to try to discuss one of those until they're peer-reviewed. I actually plan to um, end up doing a chat on one of them eventually. Mm-hmm. But then... One of our followers on Twitter mentioned CDC's crisis and emergency risk communication manuals, specifically the psychology of a crisis one that was updated just last year. And um, that covers how people take in, process, and act on information during this kind of times of crisis and how we should inform communication efforts based on that information. So I thought, let's discuss that, right? <laughs> Sounds reasonable. 
Yeah, so I'm going to summarize this manual very briefly. You can definitely find it online. There's a link in our Twitter moment. It's not that long, but it has enough depth so you can really understand each point. But here is my short summary. So first, the document goes over the four ways that people process information during a crisis, specifically. First of all, we tend to simplify messages, which means that uh, we can actually miss nuance to information because of our inability to juggle multiple facts during a time of crisis and extreme stress. So that's why messages have to be quite simple and to the point. Second, we hold on tightly to what we currently believe, which means that we may even exploit any unclear or conflicting information by interpreting it as consistent with what we already think, which can become, of course, a bit dangerous. Third, we look for additional information and opinions continuously. So let's say we see the statement from CDC or WHO, but then we start calling friends and family to see what they've heard, what they think. Uh, was it the same message? Then we go and check multiple social media channels to see what our contacts are saying and sharing and believing. So as you can imagine, if they're sharing things that are wrong, it could start influencing us because now we have a bunch of opinions to decide from. And last, we believe the first message. That first message really sticks. So we tend to compare all new information with that initial information, which is, of course, bad if the first one was wrong. And so in the absence of information, we can start to speculate, fill in the blanks, which can result in rumors. <laughs> and if those rumors fill in the information void towards the beginning, it can be hard to get rid of it. So then the manual discusses the common mental states in a crisis, which are things like uncertainty, fear and anxiety, hopelessness, denial, panic, and the fact that it's crucial to recognize the states as part of communicating during the crisis. So being empathetic and acknowledging fear and uncertainty as normal reactions is a key component really of cultivating trust. And we know that trust is a key component of successful communication of any type of communication really not just in crisis yeah. <laughs> right it's kind of, kind of key so and then finally the document talks about the importance of timing of considering how the situation changes during the different phases of a crisis and there are four phases first there's preparation so pre-crisis stage then there's initial phase so the stage of acute danger then maintenance or the initial steps to recovery start taking place and the fourth is resolution, where the emergency has passed. So your risk communication will have to evolve through the four stages. For example, in phase two, the initial phase, it's very important to not overassure people and acknowledge that uncertainty exists. Uh, it's about really setting expectations realistically. If you set expectations that things will go smoothly and you kind of know what you're doing, you'll find that you can't meet them. And so you'll deal with new facts and changing recommendations and people will then think you're not very trustworthy or, or competent. So it's just about being realistic. And let's say in the final stage, resolution, once the emergency has passed, it's very important to take the time to acknowledge and carefully explain mistakes and failures that happened along the way so that people don't fill in the blanks with their, in their own way, you know? Mm, yeah. So that is the manual. I have to say, it, it's written out very clearly. And as you said, without it being too long of a document, it's quite thorough in, in the mm -hmm. points that it covers. So I was... 
I have to say, I, I actually never thought of looking up for communication manuals from the, yeah. from the CDC, which Same. actually <laughs> makes complete sense that they would have one. So mm -hmm. <laughs> I was pretty happy that um, one of our followers mentioned it uh, so we could um, have a look at it. And something that really struck me is that in general, the, um, the points that they mention in that uh, manual are valid indeed for any type of communication but yeah. it became painfully obvious how much more important they are in communication during crisis that we saw now yeah. and something that I, I really missed indeed was one of the points as you say to to try and manage expectations from the beginning mm -hmm. and and to clearly communicate uncertainties and that's something that we scientists but lay people even more so are really bad at to, yeah. to understand the amount of uncertainty there is about oh, yeah. certain um, scientific knowledge or the lack of thereof at <laughs> the point that we're right. talking. Because I, I remember in the big, well, I remember in the beginning where um, things started getting serious with, with the current crisis, there was so much mm -hmm. unknown naturally. Um, yeah. And there was one message that re really in the very early stages, even people who were kind of experts in epidemiology and, and infectious diseases, they were like, yeah, it's, it's flu-like. And then mm -hmm. things very quickly evolved from it being not very much flu-like and being kind of worse than, than just the regular yeah. flu. And right. this is what struck me talking to uh, friends and family who are not necessarily uh, trained in, in understanding uncertainties in science, people were confused and people were rightfully kind of annoyed, like, oh, but they told us it's like flu and now it turns out that it's not like flu. And I'm like, mm -hmm. well, it's the first time that anyone sees that. So we're learning kind of on the go and trying to catch up with a very quick train here. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's so much work. And you know what? Uh, you just made me think about it. When I was analyzing the data for a survey, people kept saying flu-like, flu-like symptoms. We had an open-ended question for trying to see, like, do they know the symptoms, right? Mm -hmm. And so many just said flu-like. And I feel like part of the problem is that people don't take it as seriously because they're thinking, oh, like the flu. And they don't even know what the flu is. You know how people get a bad cold? They're like, I had the flu. Yep. No, you didn't. You would have known if you had the flu, <laughs> you yeah. know? So that kind of decreased the, you know, danger, the risk in people's heads thinking it's flu-like and it's stuck. Like our people, we did the survey for two weeks straight that kept responding with flu-like, flu-like, you know? Yeah. So that first message stuck. <laughs> and it really makes a difference indeed. Who do you hear that first message from? And mm -hmm. I have to say, unfortunately, the competent authorities don't seem to be the ones that really manage to get their message across first. What are your observations? Who became most uh, outspoken really in the early stages on the other side of the ocean? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, for me, so I'm in Los Angeles and the public health department in California, in uh, California County, it was, sorry, Los Angeles County, uh, <laughs> they did actually a pretty amazing job getting information out, making infographics out of it. So it's very easy to just copy, you know, a picture and send it to your loved ones. There was some lag um, in terms of, you know, when the Safer at Home order was announced, mm -hmm. you had to really work to go and find like, what exactly does this mean? Because 
people start panicking like what are the roads being blocked can i not go anywhere it's like hold on hold on i don't think that's what it is but um it took a second there to um get the information and come down a little bit at least because you know what's going on at the same time i'm thinking it must take so much work to coordinate all of this and to get this information right mm. and of course this organizations are trying to do an actually good job so they may take a little bit longer than a blogger who also, has a conspiracy yeah. theory yeah. so so you know like their information will come out first and um so interesting like i'm i just could see myself doing all these things in this manual where I'm like calling my sister who's a doctor, calling my parents who are in Ukraine, like, what are you here? What's their saying? They're like, I was trying to figure out how serious should I take this risk? Mm -hmm. And I was asking like everyone I knew. I could have just like went to CDC's website and only look at that. But no, I was like, I don't know. What should <laughs> I do? Because what if they're off? What if they don't know yet? <laughs> so, yeah. And, and so also, I, was there. I have the feeling that since this is, okay, we had in the past, decade or two quite a few outbreaks already but i have the feeling that none of them had been um that far reaching as, mm -hmm. as this one so far so ebola remains still more contained than this the mars and the SARS, i have the feeling at least from my western european uh, habitat <laughs> remain mm -hmm. still more contained towards the east um, right. But I have the feeling that this is where our pre-crisis stage that you described, one of the four from uh, for preparation, was kind of not well developed, um, yeah. at least in the Western world. Because isn't it that the stage where you prepare the population that, okay, in case of crisis, these are the authorities that you should really pay attention to the messages of like the CDC, like the WHO, mm -hmm. like your logo, local uh, health uh, authority or whatever it is. And I, I have the feeling that this is why maybe the lag from those organizations came because mm -hmm. the preparation stage was not there or maybe not sufficiently developed, if not completely missing. Right, right. When did it was the last time Americans really needed to listen to CDC, you know, it's just not somebody you think about often um, as your trusted source of information. There's another problem, right? CDC is supposed to be reliable, WHO should be reliable, and like right now, they're actually saying totally different things about yeah. masks made of clothes, right? Mm. So people are like, so which so one is it? Then? You know, like your trust erodes right away. Yeah. Uh, this is interesting as well. So it's kind of a, a bit of a catch-22 because if they are to coordinate together, which mm -hmm. I personally believe they should <laughs> in order to make yeah. their messages more uh, acceptable, um, right. that would probably imply an even bigger lag because it will still, still take maybe a day or even two for them to have that call and decide jointly what their message should be and then right. communicate concise information. So <laughs> I, I would really love to... Uh, have at some point an expert who works for a health organization that mm -hmm. would have the hindsight to to tell us what they needed to be there and it, it wasn't so we are actually better prepared for next time because it's actually going to get more common if nothing else um, right but I'm kind of hopeful that since we had this one and we saw where our uh messaging major flaws are we would start preparing early for the next time around and things would mm -hmm. be actually more organized what do you think about that do you have hopes yeah. 
I definitely do have a hope since this is so global, uh, more than it ever was, right, in recent history. So I do hope this has been a somewhat a test to everyone's preparation and uh, the way they work together. I hope second time around. I hope it doesn't happen, but also I feel like it should be more smooth and um, perhaps there'll be more collaboration so that things are more consistent. Hmm. You yeah. also made a pre-chat Twitter poll. Tell yeah. us what that was about. So, as usual, we did a pre-chat Twitter poll and we asked people, overall, how would you rate the effectiveness of communication efforts regarding COVID-19 from public health experts? So we had 60% that gave a positive rating, good or excellent, and that's great, but then there's 40% that rated it as fair or poor. So people definitely see some room for improvement. I was looking at some of the comments who were trying to encourage people to actually uh, give some details, like, why did you give this rating? I wish more would, um, but some of the comments were about the speed of messages, and that's, mm. that makes sense to me, so especially the safer at home orders, like the speed of clarifying information, and yes, and the clarity of messages. But for the most part, it seems like people thought uh, authorities were doing a good job. It's just there was something missing, every time and not everybody gave their thoughts on what? Did you feel like there was more than just the speed and the clarity of messaging that was going on? I found a bit interesting that in the beginning, um, things were taken a bit too uh, voluntarily for my liking. Uh -huh. I mean, I understand that people, including the authorities, were not entirely sure how, how to handle it in order to uh, not completely cripple a country while mm -hmm. trying to protect its population. But I have the feeling that right from the get-go, if the measures were uh, issued as strict rules, instead of, oh, if you can, it would be nice if you can stay and work from home. And mm -hmm. then, of course, quite a few businesses that had the ability to, to do that, they would go, go around and say to their employers, like, Oh, well, they said that if you could, but it's not mandatory. So right. you can stay at home if you want, but we're still keeping the office open. So you kind mm -hmm. of feel peer pressure to still go to the office, even though you oh, sure. might potentially be perfectly capable of doing your work from home. Yeah. Um, so I have the feeling that um, in this particular case, and I'm going to say something controversial now. I know it's controversial because yeah. I spoke to, <laughs> to friends here. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. This is the case where um, a social organization like democracy doesn't really help much. Right. Because, <laughs> That's what because people have freedoms that they're born into, potentially second or even third generation. Mm -hmm. And understandably so, it's very difficult to uh, take away from them easily. And I yeah. understand it. it, it's perfectly normal. But this is where I have the feeling that um, the Koreans, for example, or the Chinese did mm -hmm. pretty well because they have much different means of controlling what their population does at any given time. Yeah. And in this particular case, it seemed like it, it was a favor <laughs> for the situation. <laughs> And I'm saying right. it only for this particular case. Uh, don't get right. me wrong. <laughs> I, I but, probably yeah. uh, understand you. I mean, we're both born in a very different world. So yeah. even though we would not want to go back to it, I understand what you're saying. You know, yeah. uh, right now in Ukraine, I keep asking my parents, okay, what's going on there? 
and it's so much stricter. You can't be walking on the street unless you have your passport on you so they can check, okay, how far is your home? Why are you all the way here? What are you going to the grocery yep. store? You know, like it's, I'm not sure uh, people in Los Angeles would have been fine with this, <laughs> you know? I'm sure they wouldn't have. And Yeah, they'd be like, this is nonsense. And there they're like, all right, I mean, I guess we're going to do what we're going to do. So, <laughs> so. are tough, tough questions, but um, interesting perspective. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Okay, Maria, but what are really the actions that you want Psycommerce to take from this Twitter chat and from this podcast? Right. Well, to be honest, uh, since this was the first time I actually read the manual myself, I really encourage you to go and take a look at it. It's uh, pretty uh, concise, but also if you want to go deeper into it, there are, um, you know, citations for every single point made to published articles. I also want to encourage you to so head to Twitter, see our Twitter moment of the chat. This way you get the summary of the document from us, even shorter, and the discussion that took place after it. And there's links to the Psychology of Crisis manual and another one, another manual called Messages and Audiences from CDC that I really liked. There was a section in this second document that made suggestions for how to make facts work in your messaging, which is always important because as psychomers, we know that facts alone are not effective, but I feel like once in a while we forget or others forget. So we need to remember how to build messages that make facts work. And the, there are seven tips. First of all, it's about presenting a concise message and repeat it frequently. So um, you don't start with a lot of background. You avoid technical terms. You keep things simple. Second, uh, you have to give clear action steps in positives when possible. So we've actually seen that instead of saying, do not go outside, you say something like stay home and be mm. safe. You know, there, I've seen this attempt by many organizations to frame this more positively, you know, yep. as people are reacting to, oh, really, I have to stay home for another month. <laughs> um, yeah. So third, create action steps in threes or fours. So during a normal time, people tend to only remember three to seven pieces of information at a time. But in a more emergency situation or crisis situation, this drops down to only three simple directions. So you want to have, again, concise. Then you want to use personal pronouns. So from your organization or uh, whoever's communicating, such as we are committed to, you know, your health and well-being, mm. whatnot. Five, respect people's fears and perceptions. And of course, we talk about this a lot in Psycom. So not judging, um, acknowledging that panic and fear is actually quite normal reactions, you know, but that things need to be done to deal with this well. Six, uh, give people options. Uh, so in, instead of just telling them what not to do, you're trying to inform their decisions. Again, mm -hmm. you're trying to kind of frame things a bit more positively in the fact that there's some choices versus, okay, you can't do this, can go outside. And yeah, seven... Indeed, uh, it's not, not yeah. for everyone, every single... Uh, I mean, there isn't one action that is fit for everyone's lifestyle that could <sighs> possibly true. accommodate it. So it makes sense it's to absolutely try to be flexible. <laughs> about staying at home, you know, uh, this order. I mean, trying to think like, wh what about people who can't? First of all, those who don't have a home. Second, who don't have a safe home. I mean, you gotta talk about some options, right? Because mm. it's not gonna apply to everyone. And seven, I thought it was interesting. Uh, well, made sense. It says, avoid humor. I'm like, yes, oh my goodness, please don't joke around about coronavirus right now, you know? 
but uh, I guess it has to be said. So remain sensitive. You know, not the time to crack jokes about any of this. Uh, okay, so I urge everyone interested in Psycom to check out the manual. It's, like I said, concise, but gives some good explanations behind these recommendations. And all of the stuff and all of the links and all of the context is on our Twitter moment. And remember, you don't have to have Twitter to look at it. You can just click on that link and it'll come up on your phone, whether you have it or not. Yeah. Totally. And the link to the moments will be also in the show notes. Uh, but <laughs> thank you, Maria. But an interesting point actually was number seven that I find very um, uh, thought provoking about avoiding yeah. humor. And <laughs> yeah. I, I absolutely agree. Obviously, if you're trying to communicate uh, like reasonable, scientifically justified, uh, actionable items uh, from the standpoint of an authority on a problem, Obviously, humor is not the thing to do in a crisis. Right. At the same time, I have to say that for people staying home and basically having connection <laughs> with the world only via their computer and internet or phone, yeah. um, I, I need to give a lot of credit to the internet um, comedians, let's put it that oh, way, yes. for, for the, the jokes and the memes. Not all of them. <laughs> Some of yeah. them are incredibly insensitive. <laughs> And they will right. be insensitive for a very long time. <laughs> but I have to say that some of the humor that came out of this, this crisis really made it kind of easier to swallow if you're not directly affected by it. Uh -huh. <laughs> so oh, I, it's kind of like, okay, I'm going to listen to what my health authority or in your case, CDC says, but it's mm. kind of easier to handle when I can laugh at it as well. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, you know, CDC shouldn't be cracking jokes, but no. yes, <laughs> Twitter people, memes, that has helped me so much. You know, Navina, that I've actually been technically in quarantine since December, right? I was mm. in a car accident. So I had like one week of freedom until the quarantine hit. <laughs> so I need humor. Like it's been three months now. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Four. Never mind, four. Oh, it's, I, I completely agree. It's about, you know, your official organizations. You're going to offend someone. This is not the time. But humor is necessary for survival through these times. Definitely. Wow. I, um, I, I have to say, again, I, I really enjoyed going through that manual also because it, it, it visually it's, it's done pretty nicely very useful and I, I really have to thank you as well for as you said in the beginning everyone is absolutely swamped with trying to maintain some normalcy of life in that kind of weird time mm -hmm. so I was super happy when you decided that okay now is the time to do this even though I'm overwhelmed as well yeah. <laughs> so thanks yeah. for kicking our asses to actually get on it <laughs> and, I'm so and glad do we did that it, Twitter you know? chat I'm really happy and, and for finding the time for this podcast and yeah, today well, is actually too. Easter for both the countries that we live in and funnily enough That's... neither of us observes Easter today <laughs> yeah so a happy Easter to everyone who celebrates. Stay safe. <laughs> Stay safe in churches, please. Yeah, Remember. don't go to churches. I mean, <laughs> if, if, if you really want to pray and I'm not going to debate, that's your own choice. You have the full right to do so. Do it from home. But thank you, Maria, very much. So this is all the time we had for today. Thank you very much for your effort, for the Twitter chat and for the podcast. And uh, I would like to urge our listeners to follow us on Twitter at Psycom underscore JC. You can still participate in the Twitter chat, even though the live event took place a week ago. 
you're more than welcome to still contribute to the conversation. The link to the moments with the um, summary from Maria will be shared in the show notes. Uh, leave a comment uh, and express your opinion. And if you know other documents that have good advice on crisis communication, just link them as well in your tweets. You can also go and do that by leaving us a message on our website at psychomjc.org. And you can get in touch on other topics as well, because coronavirus is not the only thing that is still happening in the world today. Subscribe to our newsletter to receive updates for all our upcoming events, for the Twitter chats, for podcast releases, summaries of interesting psychomy topics, and basically anything else we do with our team. Uh, and again, this is www.psychomjc.org. If you're interested in doing an internship, if you have time to do an internship, get in touch with us and I'm sure we'll figure out something that uh, would work both for you and for our team as well. This podcast is recorded by the Psychom JC team. It's produced and edited by me, Nevena Kristozova. Our music is composed by Musical Cocktail from Audio Jungle. Thank you for joining the 16th episode from the Psychom JC podcast. If you liked it, let us know and please share it with your friends. Till next time and stay nerdy.